Do you employ or pay workers in other countries? Even if you don't yet, you may have to soon. Now that remote work is the norm, employees have more freedom than ever to move around. And if you want to keep your best people, you have to stay flexible. That's why remote makes it easy for companies of all sizes to employ global teams. They take care of international payroll, benefits, taxes, and local compliance, so you can focus less on paperwork and more on growing your business. Remote helps you onboard full-time employees or contractors in countries all over the world in minutes on its simple, easy-to-use platform. Even better, Remote lets you rest easy by providing the most comprehensive intellectual property protections and data security in the industry. They own full local legal entities in all their covered countries, guaranteeing that you never have to deal with a third party ever. To save you money, Remote never charges any fees or salary percentages. You get access to everything that Remote offers, from payroll to compliance to benefits management, for one low flat rate. No hidden fees, no surprises, ever. Just the best global employment solution in the business. Best of all, podcast listeners get an even bigger discount. Get your first employee free for 12 months and two months free for any additional employee onboarded during their first year. Just visit remote.com forward slash B2B better and use the promo code better. See why global companies like GitLab trust Remote to manage and pay their international teams. Whether you want to hire one person or 100, Remote makes it easy. Visit remote.com forward slash B2B better and use the promo code better to get started. Hello and welcome to B2B Better, the only podcast focused on helping early stage marketing teams do better than boring work. My name is Jason Bradwell and every week I sit down with whip smart marketing leaders to talk about what it takes to build a modern day strategy that delivers actual business results, not vanity metrics. Each episode is packed to the rafters with actionable insights and takeaways that you can put into practice today. Let me help you be better than boring. Here we go. Today on B2B Better, I'm very excited to be joined by Mark Thomas, Head of Growth at Powered by Search. How are you doing, Mark? Yeah, really good, thanks. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. How are you doing? I'm really good, thanks. We're record- This is the, one of the rare occasions I'm recording B2B Better with someone in my time zone, because most of my guests are in the US, usually on the uh, West Coast, which means I do these things really late. You and I are both in the UK, so yeah. I'm really glad that uh, you know we managed to, to, to sync up our diaries. For sure. What's going to happen to our accents is the question. Uh, my wife says that um, she knows who I've been meeting with in the day by how my accent sounds by the end of it. Um, <laughs> I spend half my day in the Welsh language because of my my kids. Yeah. Um, and if I've been meeting with people here, my accent kind of adapts to that. Whereas if I've been talking to people in Canada where I spend the rest of my day, I... Uh, <laughs> I sound uh, sort of North American uh, to British years, but clearly not to Canadians. <laughs> you've got a, you've got like a melting pot going on in your mouth, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. Mark's mouth melting pot. <laughs> that is the great name for a podcast. I don't know what you'd be talking about, but that is the perfect name for a podcast. We can yeah. just stop. We can just stop this episode right now. Right. We've, we've done our job. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about you. Tell me a little bit about where you work and what that company does. Right. Yeah. So uh, I work at powered by search powered by search if you haven't heard of us um hey i'm not doing my job that well but uh (laughs) secondly uh we are one of the world's leading SaaS marketing agencies in b2b and we specifically work with companies that are mid to later stage uh, and help them grow trials and demos using seo ppc and also demand gen My role is partly split between client work where I run all of the demand gen work. So that's positioning, 
uh, messaging and stuff like that. And also partly to do with growing the actual agency, making sure we've got enough clients uh, and the right kinds of clients. And also generally that our content is very high quality. Uh, one of the outputs of the agency beyond uh, you know, client work is sharing the knowledge and the frameworks that we create internally so that people can implement them themselves if they decide not to work with us for whatever reason. Yeah. I mean, Powered by Search and, and yourself, you know, are prolific, certainly on Twitter. And that is where you and I came into contact with one another. Um, so uh, we're here today to talk a little bit about growth marketing, demand gen, and what the B2B businesses of, you know, note are doing today in order to accelerate their growth. Let's just start right there. Based on your experience working at Powered by Search, what are marketing teams doing to drive revenue? That's a that's a good question. I think um, I think it really depends, uh, like everything in marketing, uh, on on what stage they're at. So, the the funny thing that makes a big difference to a lot of people, and this probably sounds strange to to people who aren't working with mid to late stage companies, is that many of them have got to where they are without really effective marketing. Um, they've got maybe one channel. That works for them. Maybe they're doing outbound, uh, and they have never thought about inbound sales uh, and marketing at all. Or maybe they just haven't put that into practice. Or sometimes we get people who've worked with other agencies or try to build teams in-house that just ultimately failed to get them the uh, the leads and the ultimately the customers that they need. Uh, what usually works uh, for across the board is improving a couple of the basic things. The basics of all of our client work are positioning and messaging. So making sure that you're clearly speaking to people who are well-defined customers um, with messages that actually matter to them. That's one thing. The second thing is uh, thinking about how SEO and content can help those customers solve problems. So rather than pitching uh, for high volume keywords, which are generally addressing informational queries, uh, people trying to like ask a question, we focus on the things that search tools don't throw up. And that when people do that, it, it really changes the trajectory of their business. If they nail that work, it goes great for them. And then the third thing is obviously PPC. Um, so people who put a solid framework for PPC based on uh, understanding clearly the economics of growth, uh, those are the companies that do well. It's the economics that make the difference with PPC. Um, so not just saying do this strategy or do this tactic, but understanding it contextually and how it fits into their business. So positioning and messaging, how content can help solve problems rather than focusing necessarily on the, on, on the keywords or the um, most sought after keywords and, and a PPC strategy that focuses on the economics. Those are the three things that you and Powered by Search are saying are you know, essential for, for B2B brands, particularly in the mid to later stage, um, to, to, to get right in order to help drive revenue. You talked a little bit there about maybe where companies are falling short in terms of achieving that kind of growth. Um, Let's dig a little bit more into that. So, what are the kind of example? What kind of examples are you seeing with the clients that you're working with 
you're kind of walking into a discovery call and immediately you're saying you need to turn that off. Mm. It's so, yeah. Uh, one of the things that we see pretty constantly uh, or consistently with, with companies who come to us, but also with companies who we maybe reach out to, you know, I, I, I said about the positioning there, there's two kinds of positioning problems that uh, people who get to this stage have. The first one is that they're positioned as all-in-ones. Um, it's a common problem. Uh, it used to be very popular to position yourself as an all-in-one, and frankly, it still is. However, there are major problems with doing that. Um, for example, it's hard to get somebody to buy an all-in-one product if they already have several other products that address the same problems um, in B2B settings anyway. Uh, that's one thing. The other thing that they do with positioning, which uh, goes wrong, is that they um, uh, they don't focus on the customer at all, and instead they write marketing copy, which is you know ultimately messaging is a function of positioning. Uh, they write marketing copy, which is the same kind of copy that they could be using to sell shoes for Nike uh, or. They say things like save time, save money. Why not save both? Uh, <laughs> that kind of thing, right? Yeah, yeah. A anyone can say that stuff. The The real crucial thing is differentiating. And those that's a real basic problem uh, for positioning uh, in particular that we see people make when they come to us. Uh, and and it's, it's why even a slight change... Uh, in the way that they position themselves can have a huge impact downstream, down funnel effectively. What you're saying resonates so, so much with me because, you know, I've sat in countless meetings with, with execs where essentially the bottom line is we want to be all things to all people. And that sounds really attractive, right? Because you want to keep all uh, windows, you want to keep all doors open of, for, for potential customers to walk through and, and to start, you know, getting some business. But it's one of the weakest bases in which to build, you know, positioning and messaging strategy. Because especially, you know, the companies I've worked with, in which you know you're you're talking about small teams, early stage companies where maybe budgets and resources and headcount is tight, it just puts a huge amount of pressure. Not only is it ineffective, but it also puts a huge amount of pressure on that team to execute. They start doing a little bit of everything to a little bit of everyone and ultimately everything is just diluted. And what you're saying is forget all of that, focus on what actually is going to move the needle and double down on that, be that a piece of messaging, a channel or, or what have you. Absolutely. We find that um, many marketing teams have bought into the, the marketing advice that they frequently hear, which is like only focus on exposure and volume. Um, mm. Now, it's more subtle, the messages that they buy than only focus on exposure and volume. But, but really, if you boil down a lot of the popular marketing messages that you read, say, on LinkedIn or Twitter, you, you get to that as the concept. Now, our whole approach is just focus on the, the specific pain points of a specific customer in a way that is differentiated from your opposition, your competition um, in their customers' minds. So you have a concept of how you're perceived, but your customer might have a totally different concept of how they perceive you. And it's really, really important to understand the customer's view 
as well as your own view in order to create effective positioning and messaging. I feel like we could do a whole new episode on positioning and messaging because I've got so many more questions I want to dig into with you about, about this, but we're here to talk about demand gen. Um, and I want to go ahead and, and start that conversation. So sure. de- demand gen, help me define it because <laughs> I, I read, I read, I, I read different interpretations of exactly what demand gen is and where, you know, some people think it's just, you know, paid ads. Some people think it's a more kind of holistic marketing focus across what's going to take out of market customers and turn them into in market customers for you and for power by search what what is demand gen what does it involve who's responsible for it within an organization and most importantly how do you measure it wow you've just you've just asked a whole another podcast worth of questions in that one Um, i know all right look um so i am i mean this in the nicest way but i try not to take part too much in the conversations that do happen about kind of categories and uh, taxonomy uh, of marketing because um, because I've been extremely guilty of getting too philosophical in the past. <laughs> what I will say though is uh, the way that I and and I think I think I've I've been at uh, Power by Search long enough now to be able to speak uh, on their behalf. Uh, <laughs> You're on a podcast think, talking about it, so you better hope so. <laughs> uh, think about demand gen is um, there is demand out there uh, for your product. Now, some of that demand is currently not active. You, there are people who want to use your product, probably, hopefully. Uh, the question is, what point are they at in the buyer journey? So are they, are they completely unaware? Um, are they, you know, are they product aware? Are they solution aware? Are they problem aware even? Uh, those, are, those are all parts of demand gen that generally get left out in favor of, hey, let's create some, let's create demand or let's capture demand. Mm. The reality is there's no difference in creating and capturing demand because you have either a customer who's aware of to some degree or a customer who's not aware. The trick is to create processes, systems, and ultimately content of all kinds, both say content is in blogs, pages on your website, events, webinars, whatever it is, and kind of things like PPC, so paid ads, um, that help move somebody along those stages of awareness. That is demand gen. You're creating pipeline, uh, whether it's free trials, freemium users, or demos that will be converted by sales later to, uh, to revenue. Uh, you just are helping them along. That's how I think about demand gen. What you talk a lot about on Twitter and same on the Powered by Search blog I've noticed is building demand gen frameworks. And you kind of started to outline one there in terms of these kind of different stages of that buyer journey and ensuring that you're creating content and opportunities for your brand to hit uh, buyers, whatever stage they are on that journey in order to keep your brand top of mind and you know coming from an enterprise background that's a challenge that i'm constantly facing because you know unlike maybe in some uh, types of saas examples where you know 
free trials can be taken advantage of within a few seconds. Um, even a product can be signed up to in an afternoon and onboarded, you know, and in kind of high value enterprise deals where the sales cycles are so long can take anything from three months to three years, that kind of constant drumbeat of content and touch points uh, where you can engage buyers at all those different journeys, at all those different steps of the journey is, is so, so important. But in regards to frameworks, what what would you say to a customer coming to Powered by Search and saying, look, I just need something set up that I can hit go on and begin to execute and start seeing some results? What, what framework is going to be the right fit for me? Yeah. Um- so we actually, we actually, I'm glad you said that we're like known for our frameworks uh, and kind of our approach to that. We actually have one uh, which encapsulates literally everything we do. Um, we call it the predictable growth methodology. Uh, so it's a wonderful name and it is actually descriptive. So our whole thing is that growth should be predictable. It shouldn't be like lumpy if possible. Uh, yeah. And you, if you if you're getting unsteady growth of any kind, whether that's incredibly rapid growth or very slow growth that is not predicted, something is happening there that isn't working for you, right? Mm, so mm. we actually um, we actually basically just believe there's there's no sustainable growth hack that doesn't exist. So um, a couple of things. So uh, firstly, we what we do is we uh, we look at what are the um, what are the accelerators of MRR. So how 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 are you going to grow in your business? Now uh, you mentioned uh, sales cycles. You mentioned enterprise buying cycles. It's important to understand those things first of all. And many people jump ahead and they just go, "Okay, here's our product. Here are the." Uh, pages that we need to write. Here are the blog posts that we need to write. And if we do that, we'll win. Mm. You won't win. You'll invest a lot of money and maybe you'll win some customers, but the likelihood is there's a lot left on the table because you haven't been structured about this. So instead of that, think about what are the accelerators of your MRR? How do you get the right kind of uh, customers, right? How do you get the people at the buying stage that they're at? If you've got a three-year buying cycle, you have a very short period of time all the time it's mm. rolling to mm. actually get somebody before they get locked out of the uh the system <laughs> out of your marketing for yeah. another 3 years so you need to understand that now um the second thing that we would uh do in terms of a framework uh and you can tell me if this sounds too much like pitching um i'm only saying this because this is literally what we do for everybody <laughs> Yeah, and I asked the question. To be fair, <laughs> you did. Uh, so we 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 next like look at what are the weakest aspects of the marketing currently. So if you and you you can implement this system yourself. It's no, we literally publish it on our website. Um, if you have a product, you're probably doing some marketing. So what is it that's not going right? Like where are your demos not coming from uh, that they should be coming from where are you investing that's uh inefficient so are you spending way too much on adwords uh or you know google ads i should say because um because you've read an article about what you should do and it's not working out for you um are you uh generating um are you generating 
website visitors that turn into demos, but you don't know where. That's the next thing, really, that you want to think about. Um, and then basically, we look at understanding customer intent and pain points. So this is the messaging and positioning that I alluded to earlier. We look at that from a couple of different um a couple of different angles, but the main one here that I think, you know, to speak to your example about an enterprise product, just because it's a useful one, three-year buying cycle, there are different people involved in that. Um, there is, we think, three, there are, there are three avatars, we call them. Uh, the first one is the daily user. That's the person who ends up actually using your product day-to-day. Second one is an influencer or manager. That's the person who like says, hey, <clears throat> my daily user, well, their relationship has a problem. We need to get them to use it. And then the third person is uh, the check signer. Each one of those people has different needs, frustrations, wants, desires. Those need to be identified clearly. And this is this is funny because like most people have jumped way past this by now, right? And, yeah. and you're like, okay, well, what do you actually do? <laughs> uh, <laughs> So, um, so this all comes down to like creating, uh, creating content and ad campaigns that speak to those things. So it's not about just kind of shooting, uh, what do they call it? Spray and pray. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. It's about going, okay, what, what are the projects here that will have the most impact for your business? Because we know that your customers are doing this, 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 and this. They're these kinds of people with these problems. They're in this part of your cycle um, right now. How do we capture value for you in a way that is going to pay off as quickly as possible, but as also as predictably as possible? Um, Should we talk a little bit about MQLs here? It feels like maybe a a good moment. Yeah, let's do that because we were talking a little bit before we started recording about MQLs and we were having a bit of a laugh because it feels like every time I open up LinkedIn, I'm seeing a post from from someone saying MQLs are dead. It's all about direct revenue and, and you know marketing proving that they're actually having a net positive impact on the bottom line anytime and all the time. Your philosophy or Power by Search's philosophy, as I understand it, is actually MQLs, MQLs are not dead and still hold tremendous value for marketers in terms of evaluating their strategies. Is that right? Uh, that's absolutely right. Um, it's almost like I queued you up uh, to yeah. say that. <laughs> and, that was, and, that, and, and, and no money exchanged hands when it came who's to in, me saying that. <laughs> who's interviewing who here? Yeah, um, exactly. So, <laughs> uh, like, I say it because it felt like a good moment because there's, there's specific examples here that I want to talk about um, that I think will frame the way that we think about this stuff. So like a lot of people, when they say the MQL is dead, um, they're making a point uh, which feels okay because what they end up saying is you should focus on revenue. Um, Now, I fully agree. You should focus on revenue and you should clear off as much of uh, the revenue that's available right now as possible. Uh, You do that through pain point content, um, as we've talked about already, but there comes a point, and it's probably pretty soon, where you're going to have to address the fact that not everybody is ready to buy. Um, now, what people do, SaaS companies in particular with MQLs, is uh, they think, okay, let's only generate short-term pipeline. So pipeline that's converting in the next month because it makes us look great. They treat 
MQLs as a KPI. So um, they are measuring it so that they can report on it to their boss only. And then they treat MQLs as a vanity metric. That's the third thing. So they say, well, look, we've generated 100,000 MQLs this quarter. That's obviously a massively inflated number. Um, uh, and, um, and look how good we are as a marketing department. Give us budget. Yeah. The reality is a whole bunch of those people are never going to convert into anything more than an MQL. Now, that's not to say that in 10 months or three years, some of those people aren't going to convert to, let's face it, like huge average contract value customers. Now, if you are connecting the dots here and you're saying, okay, well, look, if we factor in collecting MQLs at the stage that they're at in a way that basically aligns to our, ultimately our SQL, so our, uh, and our, you know, our opportunity from there, if you like the, the methodology, like the, the, the sales labeling, um, if we go, okay, what makes one of those people? And at what point can we say that we should start? We're recognizing that they're going to be at that point, at some point, one of mm. those. Mm. And then you say, okay, look, they're MQLs. We're going to market to them now um, until they're ready to convert until they're ready to take the next action, until they're ready to, whatever it is, right? That, that's a solid way to think about uh, MQLs. And that's just one example of the way that much of marketing ends up becoming about the end result and the short term, but doesn't think about how you build long-term predictable value for your, your business or your customers or your clients or whatever it is that you're actually serving. So what I'm hearing you say here, if, if I understand correctly, is it's almost a definition problem um, of it's, how people are perceiving what an MQL actually is and what value should be attached to that. Is that right? I think so. Yeah. And I think, I think as well, what's key to um, what's key here, and I, I don't want to sound arrogant, but like we really need to get better as a, as a profession at kind of assessing information. Um, it feels like we buy a lot of uh, methodologies, ideas, things. And I, re I realize the irony of this that I've just said, hey, you should follow our methodology. But yeah, and methodologies are trash. <laughs> <laughs> Never follow them. <laughs> yeah. But you know, the, the, the end goal is to create value for the business and for customers. Um, the best, the, the, the amount that you can balance those is fantastic um, because ultimately that, that's long-term health. Uh, and what we focus on is so much like, how can we get the most for ourselves right now um, so that we can get more budget or we can get pay rises or we can get a good next job that we end up focusing on this kind of, this like classification error, you know, these, these whole worldviews that are so far detached from what the job of a marketer actually should be, that it just is so short-sighted. Uh, and that, that, yeah. So to, to answer your question, yes, it's a classification error based on A, a kind of an outdated worldview, but B, a lot of kind of buying in on critically unassessed worldviews that are, you know, emergent right now, um, especially on LinkedIn. I'm feeling like I need to pull together a panel where I get you on one side and I get some other kind of MQL or dead 
uh, advocate on the other and let you guys battle out because you're presenting to me a very compelling argument, I feel, um, on the value of MQL. And to kind of give you some insight on how I perceive it, I mean, again, I come from an enterprise B2B background, you know, where the sales cycles are. And I, I don't, you know, this isn't an overemphasis, can be anything from, you know, 12 months to even four years in some cases. Um, and, you know, you mentioned there about, previously about small windows of opportunity long sales cycles small windows of opportunity because if you miss if you miss that moment where someone's actually ready to buy your product because you're not marketing to them enough one you're relying on you know your sales team getting in touch with them at the right time which is a bit hit and miss um what you want to do is you want to kind of convert them so that they're coming to you and that's obviously what you're talking about here get get the marketing qualified lead which means that you get their data, you get them into a position where you can continue to serve them, not sales messages necessarily, but relevant, timely, interesting, exciting, engaging information at a steady cadence so that when they are in that position to buy, you're much more equipped to be front of mind than you would be previously. And if you want to label that person as a marketing qualified lead, that's fine. Call it, you know, whatever you want, but that's what you know the main thing is is that you've now got that relationship with them and you can nurture them until they are ready to buy and maybe if i could just add one more thing which is that i guess maybe there's this perception that you know when a marketing qualified lead comes into our database we need to hand that over to sales and then they need to bombard them with a bunch of kind of outbound cold sales emails which possibly leaves a bad taste in that customer's mouth and it doesn't have to be like that. If you generate a marketing qualified lead, you know maybe there needs to be that additional step or steps um, before anyone from sales ever reaches out to them to further qualify them as being a kind of in-market opportunity. My kind of, you know, my contention really here is that even it's, you shouldn't, as a sales organization, you shouldn't be reaching out to MQLs at all. Yeah. Um, uh, and that I think is one of the things that people are really trying to highlight, but I think they're doing it quite ineffectively with their arguments. Um, the reason that a lot of marketers end up completely missing the targets and losing faith uh, or creating a loss of faith in their organization in marketing because they're feeding MQLs to sales as like, hey, you should you should reach out to these guys. Now, the effect is that like 80 to 90% of those people aren't going to convert, right? And And then sales will write them off and then they're like, well, what the heck have we been paying marketing for? Like, why don't we just, why don't we just focus on outbound? Um, and, you know, frankly, if you're in one of those organizations, maybe they're right. Yeah. <laughs> <You know>? um, <laughs> uh, because, because like, it's so easy here. The, the remedy is so easy. It is don't put people into your sales pipeline who haven't said or, you know, effectively indicated I am ready to buy. Um, mm. Explicitly. We should explicitly. Be, right? Is that what you mean? Yeah. So it, it's, it's most likely explicitly. Every industry is different. Every product is different. Maybe there are some business models and industries where, you know, there is an implicit uh, qualification. Mm. Um, you know, I think, I think like um, an example of how you can kind of speed this along uh, might be useful here. So we have found uh, this uh, this tactic, uh, which 
I don't, I, you know, we talk about strategies a lot and tactics usually kind of don't get coverage, but in order to make MQLs, SQLs, you have to get someone to raise their hand and say, look, I am actually ready. Now, one problem with the MQL is that everyone just goes, if they download an ebook, they are ready uh, to talk to sales. Now, that's not necessarily true. Um, we had a client, though, I can talk a little bit about this. Um, <laughs> agency business is funny because you can't often share uh, the, uh, <laughs> the client stuff. But we, we, had, um, we had a client called Snap Projections. Uh, now, Snap are in the financial planner uh, like CRM market. Basically, they help financial planners organize their businesses and manage their clients. Um, if I've got that wrong, Snap, I'm so sorry. If you're <laughs> listening to this podcast, um, uh, please stick with us. Yeah. Um, the, I'll, learn your, uh, I'll learn your business tomorrow. I'll Google it. <laughs> um, so one of the problems that uh, people who come to Snap have is that they want to grow their business but they're struggling to kind of manage and create uh, financial plans for their customers, their, their clients that ultimately work. Right. So we, um, this is an MQL uh, in action. We captured MQLs for snap using a, um, a kind of uh, an easy, well-defined checklist uh, of critical financial planning mistakes to avoid when scaling your assets under management. With seven, it was a checklist, right? It's a classic lead magnet. Um, yeah. And, and you know, I think, you know, one of the criticisms that people have is that lead magnets, no one likes to use them. I can tell you people do. Um, yeah. Not everybody shares your worldview. Mm. People download lead magnets every day. The... The lead magnet is uh, basically aligned very neatly to somebody's pain point who may be ready to buy. Maybe they're ready to scale their business. Now, when you download the lead magnet, you're not a sales qualified lead. That's, that's a problem that many people will have with uh, an MQL. However, on the thank you page for the lead magnet download, uh, you get an opportunity because uh, as a marketer, you, you've been told, I want to hear from you on this topic. Now, that, that topic is problem aware. If you can move them to solution aware at this point, you might, you might generate an SQL. Uh, and ultimately, that is a person who might want to talk to sales. So what we did was we created a thank you landing page. And we always recommend this for our clients on the on the back of successes like these, where basically rather than saying, here's your free download, we say your guide is going to arrive in about five minutes in your inbox. Um, and then we show the uh, a thing that basically says, looking for a simpler way to create financial plans for your clients. There's a demo video, which is conveniently five minutes long. Uh, and then we offer the... Um, the person who downloaded that lead magnet, the opportunity to start a free trial. Now, once somebody starts a free trial, based on the fact that they previously downloaded a lead magnet, which was related to a problem that they might have, at that point, they're probably ready for a sales qualification. And that is a good opportunity 
to pass them off to sales because, you know, as we talked about, they've been problem aware as an MQL and then they're solution aware and maybe they're product aware at this point because they've tried a free trial and that's the best stage really. We, um, to kind of give you the result here of that, uh, we found that like we can convert uh, MQLs to SQLs. Let me pull up the number so I'm saying it right. Uh, at five to ten percent on those pages, um, which is pretty significant when you think about how many people download your lead magnets uh, if you put your own numbers into there. Yeah. Um, but we have seen rates of up upwards of ten percent uh, on these things, which is like. Which is wild when you think about it. How much, how valuable would that be if you stopped discounting the MQL and instead thought, "Here's how you can make it align with your customers' intent." Yeah, I love that because it's such a simple change, and really, you're just giving them a lot of the same information that they may be able to consume or would have been served to them in a different way anyway. But it's more about the sequence, as you say, and kind of capturing them in that moment and serving them the relevant content that progresses them as you as you as you eloquently put from problem aware to solution aware to ultimately product aware and 10% i can tell you i mean if i was if i was getting a 10% conversion rate uh you know in my business from mql to sql you know i'd be looking at a pretty hefty bonus next year i have to say that um so um this this you know i think someone listening to this episode could take away their takeaway from this would be would be for me if i was listening to it there is a clearer, more effective, and simpler way of considering the metrics that we're evaluating our success by. And we shouldn't get sucked into the LinkedIn vortex that are saying market, marketing qualified leads are dead. They have got life in them. It's just our interpretation of what, what they can do and what value they can deliver to the business. Um, I know you need to go away and make a potato salad. So I've got two more questions for you, Mark, before I let you go. That's not a euphemism. No, no, no. Just to be clear, we're talking about legitimate actual potato salad. Yeah, Yeah, my my wife needs to eat. Yeah, you got you got kids to feed. This is a legitimate uh, potato salad. Um, First question: What do you think is going to be the biggest change in how B two B companies market themselves over the next five years? I feel it's inevitable that at some point we're going to realize um, that brand is important um, and that we start focusing purely on conversion, which, you know, it doesn't come naturally to a person who talks about, you know, create campaign point content that converts uh, quickly. Um, and brand is, you know, uh, hard to attribute. Uh, you have to just watch what happens a lot of the time. That's tough, but I think it becomes more important the more that ad platforms are strained, the more that cookies and privacy become pretty commonplace, you know, like or, or cookie-less uh, and privacy first. Um, you have to kind of expect that we're going to return to effectively the 1960s, which is, you know, make good messages that speak to pain points but don't expect to be able to attribute those things um so that's going to be really interesting i'm i'm looking forward to revisiting this podcast in five to ten years to see whether i was right or not (laughs) um yeah i i I couldn't agree more and i think um you know i I often say that great creative and great messaging is like 90 percent of 
effective marketing, um, particularly in B2B and particularly in enterprise, which I know I've mentioned a few times on this call, the bar is typically so low um, in, in many B2B verticals, enterprise verticals, that just having something that stands out and, and have that regularly presented uh, on a strong cadence to your target customers is often, you know, really the only thing you need in order to, to get to get someone on the line. Um, final question for you, Mark, before I let you go. Who should I interview next on B2B Better? A very good question. Um, um, who should you interview? So here's some people that I would love for you to interview. Um, I would love to, based on what I just said and what you just said, why why can't we hear from Jay Akunzo, um, the uh, make what matters kind of guy? Um, yeah. I love Jay. Uh, I love his messages. And what I like specifically about them is that he's very focused on creating good stuff that fulfills and edifies. Uh, I'm sure he'd cringe if I said that, but um, <laughs> fulfills and edifies uh Buyers again, he'd probably cringe if I said that. Uh, listeners, audio members, uh, you know that kind of thing. Jay's one of those guys that when I first got back on Twitter in 2020, early 2020, when the pandemic kicked off, um, he was one of the first guys I followed because I remembered him from when I was last on Twitter back to Twitter back in like 2016 or something. And um, I, you know, one of my favorite follows on on that platform, and I was super excited about a week ago to get a little notification saying that he's following me back now. Um, so I've got a nice inroad there to get him on the podcast. Have you also had John Benini on your podcast? No, I haven't had John, no. John's um, John's in charge of marketing at uh, Databox. Okay. He was previously or at one time at HubSpot, like almost everybody in B2B SaaS. Um, he... Uh, he has a really interesting set of playbooks for content for B2B. Uh, and one that I find particularly interesting is how they manage to source, I hate saying source, but they source um, original quotes and testimonials and kind of insights at scale from help a reporter out uh, with this kind of like automated system. It is very fantastic. And if you look at Databox's blog, you'll see what I mean by the original content at scale. It's unbelievable. Two great recommendations there, Mark. Um, tell me, where can folks learn more about you or follow you online? Two places. I'm mostly on Twitter. Um, I'm, I am Mark Thomas. That's Mark with a C. Uh, and poweredbysearch.com. And I would recommend specifically on that site forward slash blog poweredbysearch.com forward slash blog. Let's get that volume up. Let's get that, let's get that traffic up. <laughs> nice. Yes, please. Yeah, always please be plugging. Take, add my platform, add my volume. Yeah, absolutely. I will put the links to your Twitter profile and the Powered by Search blog in the description of this episode. But otherwise, Mark, thank you so much for coming on to B2B Better this evening. It's been a pleasure. I can't believe we finally made it. We got there. Now you go make your potato salad. <laughs> Do you employ or pay workers in other countries? Even if you don't yet, you may have to soon. Now that remote work is the norm, employees have more freedom than ever to move around. And if you want to keep your best people, you have to stay flexible. That's why remote makes it easy for companies of all sizes to employ global teams. 
They take care of international payroll, benefits, taxes, and local compliance, so you can focus less on paperwork and more on growing your business. Remote helps you onboard full-time employees or contractors in countries all over the world in minutes on its simple, easy-to-use platform. Even better, Remote lets you rest easy by providing the most comprehensive intellectual property protections and data security in the industry. They own full local legal entities in all their covered countries, guaranteeing that you never have to deal with a third party ever. To save you money, Remote never charges any fees or salary percentages. You get access to everything the Remote offers, from payroll to compliance to benefits management, for one low flat rate. No hidden fees, no surprises, ever. Just the best global employment solution in the business. Best of all, podcast listeners get an even bigger discount. Get your first employee free for 12 months and two months free for any additional employee onboarded during their first year. Just visit remote.com forward slash B2B better and use the promo code better. See why global companies like GitLab trust Remote to manage and pay their international teams. Whether you want to hire one person or 100, Remote makes it easy. Visit remote.com forward slash B2B better and use the promo code better to get started. And that's it for this episode of B2B Better. If you enjoyed the interview, go ahead and subscribe to my podcast, leave a rating, a comment, a review, or just share it on social media. It'll really make my day. Every Monday morning, I send out a newsletter to B2B marketers all around the world on how to do better B2B marketing. You can sign up to that via the link that I'm going to leave in the description of this episode. Or if you need a fix of B2B marketing content goodness right now, you can head over to my website at www.jasonrbradwell.com. See you next week. This episode was sponsored by Remote.